right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. I am your father. That, of course, is from Star Wars. If you only saw that scene, you'd know that something dramatic was happening, but you wouldn't know what was happening. You wouldn't feel the impact of discovering that the most evil man in the galaxy, Darth Vader, is Luke Skywalker, the young hero's father. But even if you heard that backstory, you knew that backstory and felt the impact of the reveal, but that's all you knew, you wouldn't know where the story is headed, that Luke saves his father, that he redeems his father from the dark side. To appreciate the parts, you have to know the whole story. This is especially true of the Bible. The Bible is one grand story of redemption, and it will never give up its full meaning unless we understand the one story. So, Brad Gray of Walking the Text is with us. Walking the Text helps us read the Bible for all it's worth, walkingthetext.com, so that we're so captivated by the beauty of the story that our lives are changed. So, Brad, share with us the one story of the Bible. Yeah, that's the one of the, the beautiful things about the Bible is it is one big, giant, redemptive, beautiful story. And if you can catch themes running through the Bible, it helps you to better understand it. So um, I often get asked, if you had to summarize the entire Bible, the entire story in one word, what would it be? And that would be shalom. And shalom is the Hebrew word that we translate into English as peace. But when we hear peace, we hear an absence of conflict or serenity of the inner soul. But shalom is actually a word that means wholeness, well-being, everything is as God intends it to be. Mm. And so as soon as you open up the first pages of the scriptures in creation, we see that God has created a good world. And the word that we ascribe to what God has created is shalom, this wholeness, well-being, everything is as God intends it to be. But we all know that that's in Genesis 1 and 2, and then everything turns sideways (laughs) in Genesis 3. And Mm -hmm. it's like the shalom that God has created in the garden um, has been shattered by sin and the decision that Adam and Eve make in Genesis chapter 3. So then how does the thread continue? How do we see that then beyond? So one of the great things that you see is that God immediately responds and proclaims in different ways and actions that he is going to restore the shalom that was shattered in the garden, that shattered in creation from Adam and Eve. And the entire rest of the story is God going, okay, we're going to restore and reclaim that which has fractured my good world, which in Genesis chapter two, God says to Adam, do not eat from the tree, for if you eat of it, you will surely die, which was God's way of saying that sin and death, they are linked together. And so now we have this problem that is just messing with all of life. It is messing with all of creation. And the reason why God chooses Abraham and the people of Israel is to partner with him in order to bring about the shalom back into the world. And fundamentally, that is through 
relationship. And so the thing that you see running through the entire Hebrew scriptures, the Older Testament, is God is trying to help his people to live a certain way so that collectively shalom can be reintroduced, can be brought back into the world, and everything that wasn't supposed to be part of God's good world would be would be dealt with, would be eliminated. And the people struggled to do that, and that's why one of the great proclamations in Isaiah chapter 9, talking about the coming Messiah, is that he will be a you know wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and then it talks about Prince of Peace, of Shalom. And so that whole idea is being carried through the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah. Talking with Brad Gray of Walking the Text, walkingthetext.com. God raised up Abraham and his family to bring shalom to the chaos, to set everything right again. That didn't work out so well. So then we get this this promise of a Messiah who's going to make everything right again. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, one of the, the, the beautiful things about when Jesus shows up on the scene, Matthew is quoting this passage from Isaiah chapter 9. He quotes the first part of it, but everybody would have known the larger passage. And Jesus's entire life and ministry is to demonstrate what it looks like mm. when God's peace rushes on to the scene. And because all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, and God says sin and death, they are linked together. Ultimately, that is what needs to be dealt with if we are going to have restoration and wholeness in the world. And that's the beautiful thing about the cross and the empty tomb is that on the cross, Jesus dealt with sin. And in the empty tomb, he dealt with death. And because they are linked, linked, you have to have both the cross and the empty tomb to shatter the foothold that sin and death has on the world. And the beautiful thing about how you carry that story forward is that on the heels of what Jesus does, his disciples go forth, the apostle Paul goes forth, and they are making the proclamation that God has reclaimed this good world and that the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross and the empty tomb will be made fully manifest at the end of the story. And the beautiful thing about Revelation, especially when you get to chapters 21 and 22, is that all of the language and all of the imagery is that everything that had been shattered in the garden has been reclaimed in the city. And at the end of the story, the fullness of shalom will be fully present in God's world once again. Man, that is beautiful. <laughs> that was amazing how you just got from Genesis all the way through Revelation, showing us a big story in such a short period of time. Yeah, and so we're in the story. You know, we have the Holy Spirit, and exactly, and the kingdom is now. You know, I mean, the now and the not yet, that's that's definitely a, a phrase that somebody came up with. I think it was George Ladd. I don't know. But yeah, but we get to we get to be part of you know, through the Holy Spirit, through being the body of Christ, we get to be a part now of bringing shalom to chaos. But it's not going to be fully realized until Jesus comes again. But now is important, right? It is. We get to partner with Jesus in the world today, empowered by his Holy Spirit, 
God works in us and through us mm-hmm. to bring shalom ever more present into the world. It's it's on a movement, and we get to jump into to that movement and be part of what God is doing because God wants to reclaim the world and and for shalom to just continue to expand here on earth as it is in heaven, I think Jesus once said. (laughs) What a joy. What an opportunity today. What a great day to be alive that you get to channel the kingdom of heaven through your life, through the Holy Spirit, to your world. If what Brad just shared, Brad Gray from walkingthetext.com, if what he just shared about the one story of the Bible really just resonated with you, and you're thinking, wow, that's so beautiful. You can go even deeper. Brad has a message called The Restoration of All Things at walkingthetext.com. It's a 70-minute message where he just goes even deeper into the one story of the Bible. So if you'd like, just go to walkingthetext.com and do a search for The Restoration of All Things. God is so good to give us his word and literally give us instructions for life, for all of our lifetime, for relationships, for today, for right now. He's constantly guiding us and giving us the wisdom that we need in his word. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to trust someone that you don't know. And so to experience all the blessings and the benefits of trusting God, we need to know God and we get to know him when we're in his word. But in different seasons in my life, this has been a real challenge. I remember as a new mom, I struggled with the schedule that came with having a newborn baby. You know, before she was born, I was used to just setting my alarm 30 minutes earlier than what I needed to get up and just allowing myself some time in those quiet early hours of the day to just spend time with God, reading my Bible and journaling. And I had done that since I was 13 years old. But with a brand new baby, being up during the night, not knowing how much sleep you're actually going to get. Oh, my word. Sleep is precious. I was not setting an alarm. (laughs) She was my alarm. I slept whenever I could. But if I did choose to deprive myself of sleep, you know, and I'd say, okay, I'm going to set an alarm so I can get some alone time with God, I'd fall asleep while I was reading the Bible. It was so frustrating and I was hungry for God's word. But I'm telling you, the struggle was real. You gave a new meaning to resting in the Lord. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I must have really need. If you fall asleep reading the Bible, you are just pushing it too hard. You need to get some more rest. But I needed a new strategy. So I decided I would spend just the first few minutes after putting her to bed, writing out a verse from the Bible onto an index card. And then I taped that to the windowsill that was just above my kitchen sink. So as a young mom, you wash your hands. I don't even know. I don't even know. Like so many times a day, probably 50. More than in covid Yeah, more than in COVID. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, every time I wash my hands, I have a chance to take in some scripture and just meditate on this one verse. And then diaper changing became a time for me of prayer. Every time I changed a diaper, I prayed about whatever was on my mind at that moment. And I prayed out loud. So I was, you know, interacting with my baby while Mm -hmm. I'm talking with God letting her be a part of the prayer time as well. And then as nap times became more predictable, you know, as she was getting a little bit older and I was a little bit more rested, I began to use her nap time to read and journal once again. And that became a part of my rhythm again. And once, you know, the kids were old enough that I was able to get a regular morning quiet time back into my day, 
That was like so wonderful. But I also found that as my kids got older and they outgrew naps, that we all needed some quiet time during the day, even though they weren't sleeping anymore. So we had reading time. And for a certain amount of time, everybody went into their room and they would either, if they were really little and didn't know how to read yet, they'd just flip through the pages of their book or they would read a book or or they would sleep. So a lot of times they would fall asleep, especially the little ones. But when they were tweens and early teens, then their schedules got really busy and they had stuff going on. This is when the, you know, you're the taxi mom and you're just constantly in the car with sports practices and musical rehearsals. I kept a small devotional in the door of my suburban. And so oftentimes they would say, you know, I need to be picked up by four o'clock and it would be like 4.45 (laughs) or some days 4.15. I never knew if I had actually five minutes or 45 minutes, but I had my devotional with me so that I could spend that time with God, whatever time I got, I was going to spend it with God. And I had a little, um, travel Bible in there as well. So devotional and travel Bible. Have you had to get creative with your quiet times throughout the years? Yeah, I know that when I first started working here at the station and started doing the morning show, you know, up until then, I had never done a morning show. I'd done other, you know, day parts in radio, but, you know, I definitely didn't get up early before work right yeah to do my time with god right so i would i i started a routine of you know coming into work i would do something similar to you and then and then uh, i was working part time here initially and so on my way home i've memorized a lot of scripture yeah and so i would i would just go through you know scriptures that i've memorized on the way home so i think using car time is really, I've done that so often on vacations, you know, just driving and driving and driving. I'll be in the word and, you know, just memorizing passages and going through the ones I've memorized. And when my kids were little, I'd say, you know, I'm going to have some time with God. And my son Taylor would say, are you done yet? You know, are you done yet? (laughs) Yeah. My kids know that I have a a spot where I always do my quiet time at home. And even when they were little, they just knew that if I was sitting in that spot, something sacred was happening and they just would not interrupt me when I was in that spot, you know, when they were upper elementary and they were old enough to kind of know. And it's so good for us to do this in real life where our kids see us, you know, we're modeling, we're teaching by what we're doing. And, you know, we talked about taking advantage of your commute when we, when I started working here at the station too. Yeah. Being here, getting up at four o'clock in the morning so I could be here to start the morning show at six with my commute and all, cause I've got about a 50 minute commute. I was not also getting up before coming into work to do my quiet time or to work out. So I would take advantage of that 50 minute commute and I use an audio devotional. It's called Lectio 365. I just absolutely love it. And I'll listen to messages and things like that too on YouTube while I'm driving. But there's so many more resources right now for getting creative, for hearing the word of God. There's an app called Streetlights. It was actually created for, um, they were sharing the gospel in the inner city with kids who struggle to read. They, they had never been, you know, highly academic. And so reading was difficult for them. And so reading the word of God was really difficult. So they created an audio app called Streetlights. It's super swaggy, urban feel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's straight scripture, just scripture. And they keep adding to it more and more. I don't know if they have the whole Bible yet or not, but that's fantastic. It's an app that you can get on your phone and listen to scripture that way too. 
But however you need to do it, you know, God's word does give us instructions for life. And I just encourage you to get creative and get in God's word. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, describes the one story of the Bible. She says, it's the love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. Brad Gray of Walking the Text is with us, walkingthetext.com. Walking the Text helps us read the Bible for all it's worth, to understand the one story of the Bible, to be so captivated by the beauty of the story, to be so captivated by the beauty of the story that our lives are changed. So, Brad, what does the one story of the Bible mean for us right here, right now, on August 2nd of 2021? Yeah. So when you recognize that it's one big, beautiful story, you quickly recognize that the point of the story is about God redeeming the entire world. And we get to play a part in that story, that it's not just a story that we read. It's not just a story that we kind of passively observe. It's a story that we are part of. I mean, we stand between the cross and the empty tomb and revelation, (laughs) where Jesus will come back and make everything right. We're between the cross and the second coming, and we have a part to play. And one of the things that is so beautiful about the story is that in the Bible, salvation is never the end game. It's always the beginning. (laughs) That the moment that you are brought into a relationship with God, it is now a launch pad to how you live differently going forward. Salvation is never the end game. It's the beginning. Discipleship is that end game. And that discipleship is learning from Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and in the communities that we're part of and in reading our Bible and in prayer of what does it mean that we get to partner with Jesus Mm -hmm. in this storyline that he has ushered us into. Jesus has invited me. He's invited you. He's invited anybody who wants to join the journey that we get to be disciples of Jesus and that we've got work to do in the world. Mm -hmm. And wherever God has placed us, whether we're in nonprofit, whether we're in for-profit, whether we're in politics, whether we're in media, whether we're in whatever, God wants to continue to work in us and through us to expand his kingdom in the world today. And when we recognize the storyline and we better understand God's very words, you know, reflected here in Scripture, we have a clear understanding of who we are, of what we've been invited into, and we live life with a greater focus and a greater passion because we recognize this epic story that we are part of and God wants us actively involved in what he is doing in the world. And we keep encountering Jesus. We keep running into Jesus in the Bible and having an encounter with him. And every time we encounter Jesus, we get commissioned. Yeah. And we're reminded what an unspeakable privilege Mm -hmm. to get to join the creator of the universe 
in what he is doing. God doesn't need us. Mm. He wants us, though. Brad Gray of Walking the Text, walkingthetext.com. And, you know, the one story of the Bible has everything to do with my life and your life. You know, it's the story of the Bible is all about God, but I'm in the story. He has rescued me from darkness, the darkness of my sin, and brought me into the kingdom of light. And now I know who I am. The Bible tells me who I am and why I'm here. The Bible tells us who you are. The Bible tells you who you are. You are a beloved son, a beloved daughter of the Father, and we have a purpose. We have a purpose, and that is to live out the life of Jesus and light our world, be kind to everyone we meet, bless our world, bring God's peace to our world that's that's in such division and hostility. Yeah, and we are a part of this grand story. So understanding understanding the grand story of God helps us to get clarity about our own meaning for our own life mm-hmm. because they are intertwined. Yeah. They're not to these two separate things. So if you'd like to find out more about the one story of the Bible, you know, Brad has touched on it. Uh, He's actually got a message at his website, walkingthetext.com. It's called The Restoration of All Things. He starts with Genesis 1-1 and goes all the way through Revelation 22. And it's about a 70-minute message that just shares this beautiful one story and our part in it. So walkingthetext.com, it's called, just do a search for the restoration of all things. Good morning to you. We're taking a look at some scripture and would love to know what jumps out at you when you hear this passage. Is there a word or something that just comes alive to you? What hums and rattles in you when you hear this from the word of God? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You know, the first thing that catches me is on the last and greatest day of the festival, which Mm -hmm. makes me think, what festival? And you shared with me off air, Shauna, that it's the, the festival of the... Feast of the Tabernacles, mm-hmm. which was remembering when the Israelites were in the desert and they lived in tents and the Lord provided for them in the wilderness. And in particular, he provided for them water to drink. And here is Jesus saying, I am the water. Yeah. I am the water of life. I am the river of life that leads to eternal life. And if you believe in me, you'll have the river of life flowing from within you and you'll never die. It's just beautiful. We're putting the story together. Yeah. I mean, just a few chapters earlier, he's having a conversation with a woman at the well and they're talking about natural water, right? She's at the well to draw water and carry it. And he says, I'm living water. I can give you a water that you'll never thirst for again. If you drink from this well, you're going to be thirsty over 
and over and over. And part of their conversation was how she had been married several times. And I, I believe that God was saying, you know, I think what you're looking for, what you long for, your heart's desire to be loved perfectly, the faithfulness you want, you know, someone to look at you and see you and know you and love you exactly as you are. You're never going to find that in any man. Mm -hmm. You're never going to find that in marriage. That's not what marriage is for. That is to be found in me and me alone. And if you, if you look to me, if you let me satisfy you with this living water, you will never be thirsty again. Yeah. I could get personal in that I can use accomplishments and achievements and rewards and successes to try to quench the thirst. Mm -hmm. But every time I accomplish something, it's not enough. I've got to accomplish something else. Right. And then that's not enough. And I get to accomplish something else. And, and so that's just a microcosm of, of the human heart that there's nothing that satisfies the human heart other than the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the life that he pours into us. And we all do this. You know, this is not, this is not a judgment zone. This is a judgment free zone because we all have things that we go to repetitively, but the literally the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. This is a no judgment zone, but it is a call for me and you to reset. Yes. To reset our hearts on the only one who deserves our hearts. That's the, right. The one who poured out his heart so that we would give him our hearts. Yeah. So, hallelujah. Hallelujah. As my mom would say, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930. 